Could our veterans please stand up today? We'd like to honor our veterans. That's it. appreciate you so much. Thank you for serving our country, for sacrificing. Your selflessness inspires us. We're grateful for God's protection of our country, and we know that you've given a lot to play a big part in that, and we're grateful for your role. Uh, We want to pray right now for our veterans as well. Father, thank you for all who have served our country in different capacities, and God, thanks for their willingness to honor you and to honor the people in our country. And thank you, God, that they were willing to go towards danger, even away from family for years. God, we pray if any are struggling, if any of them have illnesses or just battling certain memories, God, we pray that you would restore, that you would strengthen, that you would encourage today. God, that you would comfort the whole family. We thank you, God, that their labor is not in vain. And we thank you for the nation that we have today and your blessings. Again, God, protect them, and Father, we pray that your presence would be so evident in their lives today that they would receive a gratitude we have as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're so thankful for you, so thankful. And as you look around today, you probably notice our stage looks a little different. This is because we had an Invest in Tomorrow project, and everyone contributed that wanted to contribute, and that enabled us to take away the carpet After 20 years of, you know, all that baptism water overflowing and all the other things that happened over the years, uh, well, it was time for a change. And this is going to benefit the acoustics. It's going to benefit with the plug-ins. It benefits on a lot of levels. And this week, the, the stage is under construction, but the stage knows this is a church where you can show up under construction. Amen? Amen. Anyone else show up under construction today? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Stage is bald today. That's not easy. I remember my first weekend being bald. That's not an easy thing. So don't, don't stare too long at the stage today. But, uh, you know, it's a reminder, too, that, that there's seasons in life where that carpet was great, but then you got to make room for what God wants to bring in a new season. And the carpet is off. Next week, it's going to look different up here but we couldn't apply the new surface until you get rid of that old carpet. I just feel like preaching the stage for a little while today. Some of you make sure you make room for God. You know, if you're dating someone that isn't that one, you gotta make room for the one who is the one, but that's another sermon right there. All I'm saying is make sure you make room for God in your life and what he wants to do because what God brings is always good and what God is bringing on this stage is good too. We thank God for his provision and how it's going to be a blessing. This building's just a building, but it supports all the ministry. And there's a lot of ministry that goes on here. What's important is the people. But we're grateful to have a facility that supports the people, that supports us together. All right, after this message, the elders are coming forward to pray. We do this once a month. It's from James chapter 5. Why? Because God answers prayer. Our God is good. And as we pray to God, God heals and God strengthens. God changes our lives. And I encourage you to bring those burdens you have forward today and receive prayer. And we have seen incredible testimonies, and it's a rich time. It's a time where we honor God and we seek his presence together, 
And again, don't be shy when it comes to prayer. This is a house of prayer for all nations and people gather together. We gather together as family to pray for one another. That's what we're gonna do at the end of this service to our elders. We're so grateful for our elders, how they consistently serve and uh, they serve, they lead and they serve. And that's the biblical picture, lead and serve. Today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, wrapping up this chapter. We're in a series now called Connected, and we're going to continue for a couple more weeks, but today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 27, Connected with Eagerness. We've been looking at Connected from different angles. Today's angle is eagerness, earnestness with this connection. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We were just singing about your faithfulness, singing about your goodness, your grace that's greater than our sin, your patience, God, and how you give us patience when we run out of patience. God, you change our perspective, and today we're most grateful for your presence. God, we thank you how you communicate to our hearts, minds, and souls through your word and your spirit, and today we trust you to do a great work, fresh vision, strong encouragement, God, and that we are going to follow you together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the head of the church. Let's say that together. Jesus is the head of the church. That is important to remember that he leads us, he guides us, he is our good shepherd. We need a good shepherd, we need a savior, not just for forgiveness of sins eternally, but every single day to abide with Jesus and bear much fruit. We trust Jesus and that's why we follow Jesus. Don't miss that part. We follow, he leads. That's throughout the whole week, 24-7, where we live, work, learn, or play. He follows, we lead. We follow, he leads. Don't mess it up. Stay sharp, stay sharp. Your flesh is gonna wanna twist that thing. You don't let your flesh get in there and twist it. You know how it works. He leads, we follow. When that happens, Things go really well in a church. I'm not saying easy. There's opposition. There's challenges of spiritual battle. But that is the crux of a healthy church is to follow Jesus. When we stop doing that, at the core of a healthy family, you follow Jesus. At the core of a healthy marriage, you follow Jesus. When you stop following Jesus and you try to take lead and you say, Jesus, I'm going over here. Just bless me real good as I lead. That doesn't work. It doesn't work in any setting. And the Corinthians were wrestling with that. The Corinthians wanted to lead. They didn't want to follow. They wanted to lead. They had some old patterns, some old habits. They had some old ways of doing life. And if we don't have a desire to follow Jesus, all these other things today are not going to go very far. This is not just like principles, try harder. Okay, it's the right answer. This is a relationship. It's dynamic. And as we follow and desire to follow Jesus, really eagerly desire to follow Jesus, God pours out his blessings. I don't want to run past that core piece in Corinth and for our church today. Jesus leads and we follow. It's easy to get it messed up. Uh, We are designed to follow and trust Jesus and we are designed to be connected with the Lord, with each other, and also connected with the calling on your life. There's a calling on your life. There is purpose for your life and God ignites a passion in your soul. And Jesus was doing that at Corinth, an unlikely place. And we know some of us are some unlikely people. 
that, that Jesus would be so good and faithful and to lead and guide us and light that fire in our souls. Today, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 27, this is a vision for the church, the Corinthians. It's a vision for us as well. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles and those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gift of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the answer implied to every one of those questions is no. Here's the verse, last verse, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly and eagerly desire. God lays out a vision here for local churches and the significance of local churches. It was true in Corinth, it's true for us. We're gonna highlight three parts of the vision. And the first is that God's plan in the Bible and today is to build up local churches. God's plan as you read scripture and also today is to build up local churches. Think about how God has progressed in this plan. First, Jesus, he's fully God and fully human, on this earth, died for our sins, risen from the grave, and after that, ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father now. He promised when he ascends, the Holy Spirit will come, Pentecost. And God did a new work. The church was birthed. Now, instead of going to a temple, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. And from that, gathering together, God established local churches. And the vision is that local churches will continue to multiply, grow, and in every city, in every location, there'll be local churches everywhere growing and being faithful to God until Christ returns. We are the bride of Christ. We look forward to his return. God's plan A is to build up local churches around the world. This is God's plan in scripture. Don't miss that plan. There's new churches. Churches grow and are established, strengthen, and they multiply, leading more people to Jesus, and then planting more churches and are sending as well. All of this was happening in scripture, and it's happening today. In Acts chapter 15, in verse 41, we read, Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. First, he went and established, started the churches. Then he's strengthening the churches, and the churches will multiply and raise up more churches. Uh, you see churches like Antioch, which was a new church, and then it got stronger, and then from that, going out, raising up many more churches. There are so many churches in India, for example, just church planning all the time in India. Uh, there are churches that are starting up in the sound right now. We are thrilled whenever there's a new church, a solid church in the sound. We want more churches. We're cheering each other on. This is one body, one family with many local churches. It takes many local churches to reach a city. And sadly, when a church is planted, sometimes it's seen by established churches like, oh, that's competition. Oh, that's rivalry. No, it's not. We're all in the same family trying to reach a city together. and We need lots of churches. And so we want to have a kingdom perspective when it comes to the local church. Part of it is shifting from me to we. When, when you read the Bible, you're going to notice there's a lot of promises for you, and they're wonderful. Receive them. God will give you wisdom whenever you ask you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
God will give you a peace. If you have anxiety and you pray and you thank him and you give him burdens, he's gonna give you peace. There are many promises for you individually. But don't let that blind you from the we aspect of church. Because as you pick up a Bible in the New Testament, what you're reading is Paul's letters to churches. The Galatians, that's the church there in Galatia. The Corinthians, the Thessalonians. He's writing to different churches and he's building up churches. Why? Because this is the heart of God. When you get to the final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, again, you have the seven churches. Don't miss God's plan and priority of local churches. He describes clearly there to be elders in the church and look at their character above reproach. There's deacons, there's deaconesses. There are, we have communion. We always will in local churches. Baptism, those are gonna be here until Christ returns. And, and then, you know, but all together, God lays out a playbook for the local church. And it's easy today to just bash church. It's easy today to think church isn't important. And what does it say in Psalm 122, verse one? I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Some of you are thrilled this morning. You're just checking your watch because church can't start soon enough. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. If you're a parent, you might have some kids that are glad when you said to them, let's go to the house of the Lord. In other ones, you're praying for on the whole ride here because they are not eager to come to church. And you might have both. You know, you might be eager and your spouse wasn't so eager, you know, but came today, praise God. We all have different levels of eagerness when it comes to gathering together and worshiping together and seeing each other and living out the one another's together. But church can be complex. You say, well, how is church complex? Well, we got a bunch of imperfect people gathering together. And if you have two imperfect people, that's hard enough, right? I mean, marriage, we all need God's help. And then you add a couple more in a family. It's like, how do we stay together as a family and close to God and close to each other? And then when you think of church family, now you're getting into hundreds or thousands. It's like, Jesus, please, Jesus, please help us, right? So churches get complex. We all bring our flaws. We're all growing. We're lifelong learners. And, and for some people, they stumble in church. Here's a couple of things that I hear frequently uh, different situations, and I just want to bring clarity. The first one is that what if your church has false teaching? What if they don't open a Bible? What if they're just giving opinions? What if it's against the Bible? If there's false teaching, leave the church. Get out of that church. Don't stay in that church. You don't have to pray about that for a couple years. You, you heard it? They said, you know, Jesus, he's not the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I'm not staying. I'm not staying. And so uh, that's one situation. Another situation, tragic, but we see this in the headlines all the time. What happens if in some churches, kids are abused, right? It's, it's about as terrible as it gets. Kids are abused in a church. What do you do? Uh, do you just do a cover-up? No. Contact the police, right? Some people need to go to prison is what needs to happen. And, and so that happens in some local churches, uh, what about when there's conflict? There's always gonna be conflict in a church. There's always gonna be some conflict. Then it's important to see what scripture says about walking through conflict, to be humble, to be honest, to be truthful and loving, to try to resolve things and restore things as well. Now, restoration, 
uh, do everything you can, dependent on you, to live in mutual peace. Live in peace with one another. Sometimes that will include some boundaries. Uh, sometimes there will be relocation. The restoration will happen and two different people will go to two different churches. That's sometimes necessary. But again, in conflict, walk humbly in truth and in love. And then what about immorality? When someone's living a lifestyle that's destructive and even inviting other people into it, that's where there's uh, church discipline. And that's where the elders step in. What about where there's immaturity? Well, then we need accountability. We need it in life groups. We need it with each other in our conversations. Redirect the gossiper, right? If there's immaturity, then accountability. We want to grow. We want to honor Jesus together. What about if you have a lot of preferences and you have preferences? Some people like the worship and the message. They have a little more spice. Some don't like as much spice, right? Meals are served up differently spiritually. Some people like, you know, comfortable chairs. Some people really want pews. I've heard this over the years, not so much a grace, but let me just tell you, that's been a hot topic in one church I serve. Some people like a certain children's ministry, or they like a certain location, or we've got lots of preferences, right? Find a church that fits for you. We are so blessed in America. I'll tell you, even today, if you're like, grace just isn't my place, there are 20 churches within 20 minutes you could pick that love Jesus. I mean, what a blessing. Don't get too caught up over every single personal preference, like Eventually, you're going to pick a church that's not going to check all your boxes. So what are you going to do? You get in a church, and this is what you do. You make it better. That's what you do. You find a church, you go deep, you serve, you get connected, and you make it better. You make it better. And if everyone has that, how can we be part of the solution? How can we make it better? How can we bring out the best in each other? How can grace be more like God's designed her to be when you start living that out? It's powerful, it's contagious, it's inspiring. And wherever you are, in all your days, and you're always in a local church, I pray, then make it better by the strength and grace of God. And that's God's calling. John 2, 17, we read that Jesus was in the temple. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. Why? Zeal for God's house consumed him. And what was happening? People were getting ripped off. There were lies. There was dishonesty. Then in the middle of that, it was blocking people's access to come in. It was not honoring God. And then people weren't able to come in. Court of the Gentiles come in. And what did Jesus do? Zeal for God's house consumed him. I pray that zeal for this house consumes us. It's a good thing to be like Jesus, that you want to have a passion that this is a church of love and the word and we reach the world and we're courageous and we're authentic and we're humble and you pray for your church and you serve one another and zeal for this house consumes you. That's what Jesus lived like. And so don't take a local church just kind of like, eh, it's no big deal, whatever. This is a place to honor and glorify and know God. Pray for other people and be eager for all the churches to thrive. Be eager for the churches across Auburn and the Sound and around the world to thrive. There was a difference in, high, in uh, college between something that's essential and something that's an elective. When it came to classes, it was important to know, is this essential or is this an elective? What you didn't want to have happen is that you think something is an elective and it's actually essential. And when you finish your four years of school, you are excited to get your degree and they let you know, actually, you missed an essential class. You're like, I thought that was elective. No, actually, that was essential. 
The local church is not elective. You talk to Christians today, it's like, well, I just go whenever I want to. I mean, averages like once a month. It's not that important. It's not that relevant. It's not that necessary. I do my own thing. I'm kind of above that. The local church, when you read the Bible, when you're following Jesus then and today, it's not elective. It's essential in our walk with God. And that's a conviction from Scripture. You say, well, of course, you're a pastor. What do you think we're going to hear? If God didn't call me into ministry, if God just said stay in soccer your whole life and I played it and coached it, you know, that's kind of where I thought it was going. If that was the case and they said be a guest speaker, I would say the local church is essential in every community for every follower of Jesus. And so find one. It's a prayerful decision. And then go deep and be a blessing. Here's the second part. The enemy of our souls wants to distract, divide, and discourage us from being connected with a church family. Let's think about the Corinthians in the context of Corinth. First of all, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of affluence. There was a lot of prosperity, a lot of materialism in Corinth. Do you see any of that in America? And and the challenge in a place that's prosperous and has more money and blessings in a material sense is that it's easy to have pride, to take things for granted, to feel entitled. And then those blessings that are given can become idols and even stumbling blocks. You say, how does that work? That God blesses us and then those very blessings become an idol. I mean, God creates these smartphones and then they become an idol. God creates these comfortable beds and then they become an idol. Like how It's because we're fallen. We can take blessings and they become idols. And for the Corinthians, the love of money, that ran pretty strong. Here's another one. For the Corinthians, they were very influential. There were two harbors. It was the capital of Achaia. They had a lot of influence. Seattle has a lot of influence in our nation. Have you noticed how many things run through Seattle and the different businesses and then how that affects the nation? This is an influential place. America is very influential in the world. And what do we promote as a nation? We kind of have a mixture. In one sense, we promote the gospel of Jesus. We promote Bibles. We send out more missionaries than any other country. But on the flip side, we've got all kinds of sin and junk that we promote online and movies and all sorts of stuff. So we kind of have a mixture. It's like, well, what do we really want to promote worldwide from America? What do we want to promote in Auburn? And what's our choices? Sin, the Savior. The Corinthians were wrestling. The Corinthian church, it was wrestling. It was like they were promoting Jesus in one hand, but they sure were promoting a lot of sin too. And it was a real mixture. And they had to decide, what are you going to promote? We can relate. In the church in Corinth, it was unique because there were so many Jews and so many Gentiles. Sometimes there'd be a lot of Jews, not many Gentiles, a lot of Gentiles, not many Jews. But in Corinth, there was a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles. Back in the day, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along so well. There were walls of hostility. Here's an opportunity for the church in Corinth to display a unity that's missing in the culture. We have an opportunity as Grace Community Church, church family, the different generations that are here, the different nations, ethnicities that are here, personalities that are here. We have an opportunity to display a unity that's sometimes missing in the culture. The Corinthians had the same opportunity, but they had a lot of division in the church. They they weren't sure. They didn't let God in and take over in some important areas when it comes to unity, forgiving each other, dropping selfishness, and choosing selflessness instead. 
What else? They had a lot of temptation. They were bombarded with sexual temptation. 2023 in America, bombarded with sexual temptation. They struggled. They didn't even have the phone temptations. and the, But you know what they had? All around the culture, they had promiscuity. They had people sleeping together. They had a temple, Aphrodite, prostitutes everywhere. Like it was known for a place that did not honor God with their sexuality. It was known, and many in the church were stumbling in that. We have many who love Jesus today who are stumbling. We need a purity revolution. Honoring God in this way. The the Corinthians could relate. And, And then also there were false teachers, Gnostics, people who deny the humanity of Jesus. They had a lot of false teaching. We have an abundance of false teaching in America. There's so much false teaching, they needed to know the word. We need to know the word. Spend time in the word. Make it a daily habit. Know the word. Why? Because it's food for our souls and you can tell a counterfeit when you know the real thing. If you don't know the real thing, you'll be blown and tossed about by the wind and the waves. Ooh, that enlightenment sounded kind of nice. Ooh, what's that person saying? I really like their social media page. I think I'll just believe everything they post. Like we are just like flying around with all kinds of false teaching these days because it sounds good, feels good. Well, what does the word say? The Corinthians, the enemy of our souls, wants to pull us away from God, out of connection with the local church, and in a place of despair, anxiety, fear. And out of all that, uh, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. 18 months, Acts 18.10, we read, for I am with you, God is speaking to Paul, I am with you, no one is going to attack you and harm you. I have many people in this city. Has God ever called you to a difficult task or place? You felt that one? Are you in that right now? When Paul went to Corinth, he didn't know how long he would be there. Maybe in his mind, as he looked around the city, he thought, God, could you please make this just eight days? I think eight days would be enough work in Corinth, right? Maybe he had hopes that it would be 18 weeks. Okay, God, if you really want me to be here in Corinth, I will stay for 18 weeks. Have you ever said yes to God and he said, don't leave yet? My work's not finished yet. Paul's looking at the church in Corinth. It's like they're not really growing how he hoped. They're not really moving forward like some of the other places. This one's more difficult. Sometimes God will... Send you to a church that's a little more difficult. Send you to a relationship that's a little more difficult. You'll have one child or grandchild that's a little more difficult. And what do you do in that situation when it gets a little more difficult? God calls us to difficult things. Why? Because we're going to grow. We're going to drop our pride and rely on God. We're going to surrender. We're going to trust God. We're going to see God's faithfulness and his glory. God calls us to difficult things. Paul, in this moment, hearing from God, he needed a word from God because he didn't always want to stay in Corinth. There's temptation everywhere. It's difficult. The church is struggling with a lot of stuff. He kind of wanted to leave, but God said, no, stay in this place 18 months in Corinth. That's a long time. Don't leave until God releases you. And if God says stay, you stay. You stay. Even if you feel like going, you stay and be faithful. And when God does release you, don't think about staying. Don't think about staying. You move with the Spirit. 
and God will guide. That's the story of Paul and Corinth together. And what's Paul trying to instill for them? What does he know that's so key? Those one another's. The church learning to be all God's designed her to be. We did this last week, and I want to do it again this week because I want these to just dwell in us. And when you think about eagerness, like, whoa, what are we going to be eager about? This is a list of what to be eager about. These are the one another's in Scripture. You say, well, there's a lot of these. Yes, because this is close to the heart of God. We want what's close to the heart of God. And as we read these together, you don't have to read uh, the, the street address, John 13, 34. Just read the, the verse and the words. So let's read these together. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Provoke or stimulate one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Not only me, but we together. We live these out together. God has a plan for the church, a local church, and this one another is the plan. God also in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, says this. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Those five areas, you think apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, those roles. In one sense, there were apostles back then and they had an office, if you want to call it an office. But to be an apostle then, they had to be someone who walked with Jesus. Literally, you know, walking with Jesus, following Jesus, and then also saw the resurrected Jesus and was appointed as an apostle. It's a unique role or office. In that sense, we're different today. On the other hand, the word apostle means sent one, messengers. We are all sent. Apostolic work is what God does today. Apostolic work, we thank God for people who blaze new trails, who hear from God and start new ministries, who plant new churches. There are apostolic works, people who are sent, these messengers, they're courageous. And you go through that list, prophets speaking the truth, also revelation from God and what is yet to come, evangelists. In one sense, if you're a follower of Jesus here, you're already called to share your faith. There's no option like, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I don't do evangelism. That option doesn't exist, folks. Uh, so in one sense, we all lead people to the Lord. But on the flip side, there are evangelists who are called and have a different role in the body of Christ. Well, shepherds, I think of all our life group leaders. This church, our church family, there's about 50 life groups. And those life group leaders, we thank God for life group leaders 
who are shepherding, coming alongside. Teachers are happening all over this whole campus, not only Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. The kids downstairs right now, they're being taught. What does that mean? People are passing along the faith. They're teaching scriptures. They're connecting dots. They're filling the blanks. Downstairs right now, there's light bulbs going on in, in kids' minds. Like, that's how much God loves me? That's how God views me? God will never leave me or forsake me? And there's teaching happening. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. You're with your kids all the time. You're always teaching them about life. You might be playing a, a sport with them, but you're teaching them about life. You might be doing homework, but you're teaching them about life. There might be a trial comes, but you're just teaching them about life. Whatever you're walking through, you're teaching them. You're passing on your faith. When you get up, when you sleep, when you walk around the house, you're teaching all the time. So there's a fullness of what God's called us to do. And not only do it, but raise up other people and equip others who are gonna do it. There's a fullness to the body. I'm convinced in the next five years, what's most important here at Grace is that there's a fullness in the body of Christ rises up with a deep conviction, with an eagerness that we don't, like in many American churches, just sit back and think, well, let's watch the staff. Oh, I'm glad there's a couple of leaders who are gonna take care of that. That is not the vision that God lays out for local churches. It's the whole body all week where we live, work, learn, or play and receive your purpose, receive your calling from the Lord. I'm not making this up. It's drenched in scripture. Receive it fully. Let God comfort you, reassure you, guide you, empower you, do exciting things during the week. And we come alive together in that calling. Well, what about the gifts? Are they all equally beneficial? They're not. In Corinth, they were fascinated with speaking in tongues. It just seems so spectacular. You know, sometimes in the body of Christ, I want the spectacular gifts. Well, uh, are they really as beneficial as some of the other gifts? And what Paul was highlighting is that there are gifts that build up the whole church. When you're serving and helping and the difference that it makes, when you're making disciples, when you're praying for the church, there are gifts that build up the whole church. Someone's praying in tongues, they might have a great prayer time, but how did that build up the whole church? Paul's saying, eagerly desire to build up the church and God gives you the gifts. He says it three times in this chapter, it's God who distributes the gifts and step into those one another's and build up the whole church. Uh, we have a culture at Grace of Participation if you're newer, maybe you're picking up on that today. Uh, sometimes we need a break. We need to heal. There's different seasons. But overall, we really believe, coming from God's heart and God's word, that the most fulfilled soul is going to be one that is active in participating. And that's in relationships. That's in serving and seeing God change lives. It's so much more rich than just watching everyone else kind of being active and then just coming and keeping a seat warm and then watching everybody else. That's, that happens, but that's not the culture. Our culture here is that you're invited. God's already empowered you. And that's why we put out like today, tables. We have teams. There's impact that God's bringing and there's a wide range of ministry. There's probably a hundred choices. You probably notice more and more kids are coming to grace. You might love to help with kids and you're just wondering, well, are there other roles besides teaching? Can I hold babies? Yes. Could I set up the class? Yes. You might be seeing some of the media stuff and thinking, what about cameras? I know technology. Great. That would be awesome. We have a lot of roles. And also there's opportunities that we just try to set up 
How many people enjoyed the missions conference and the three weekends here recently? If you were here, it was inspiring what God's doing around the world. You know, out of that, we set up three short-term trips because just so much momentum and interest right now in the nations. So we set up three short-term trips. There's a window this next you know, month or two where this is what happens. If you wanna explore those trips or go on a trip, there's gonna be three trips. If you don't wanna go to the world, then there won't be any trips. Like our role is to just set things up for success and then together we're walking through these and they're prayerful decisions. But all that information is in the lobby today, a cultural participation, and we put we have people in there because sometimes online you're like, well, I hit the serve button, I texted your church phone number, but no one picked up a phone and talked to me. Well, today there's people who answer your specific questions as well. Eager to see God glorified. Eager to see marriages healed. Eager to see the next generation knowing how much they're loved by God. Eager to invite friends to young at heart and what God's doing with our seniors. There's an eagerness that's pervasive from Jesus to the early church, to today. This is a movement. It's not just a few principles, not a few rituals. This is a kingdom that advances powerfully, wonderfully. It's personal, global, and eternal. Don't miss it when you read scripture. Just don't take the cultural lens and miss what God's saying in the word about the local church. The people of God come alive. We come alive when we eagerly desire what God wants. When you say yes to what God wants, when your heart breaks for what breaks God's heart, that's when you come alive. And what does it look like to come alive? It looks like a shift from interested to committed. That sounds simple, from interested to committed. The Corinthians were interested. Paul's in town. It's going to be interesting. What's Paul saying? We're interested. We're kind of interested in the word. We're kind of interested in Jesus. You know, we're interested when we gather and hearing more about Jesus. We're interested. Well, in Corinth, if all you are is interested, it's gonna look like a mess a lot of the times. And that's what it looks like because we have the count of Corinth and what's happening in the church. Interest in alone isn't gonna be countercultural. You have to move from interested to committed. It can't be, well, I'm kind of interested a little bit and in, in maybe getting to know some people. I'm interested a little bit in serving. I'm interested a little bit in living for Jesus in the sound. Interested a little bit isn't gonna go too far in the sound. The shift from interested, committed, that's when God moves. Harvard did some research, and eventually Harvard always catches up with the Bible. It, it took him a while, but they did some research on human flourishing, and this is what they found. Those who are active in their faith are flourishing more than those who aren't. Well, what does that mean, this flourishing? It means those who are active in their faith report more happiness and joy, more purpose, more forgiveness, and there's more generosity. For those who are not as active or active in their faith, there's more depression, there's more substance abuse, and there's more destructive behaviors. Well, what does it look like to be active in the faith? Praying, that's in the Bible right there meditating. That's also so good. Meditate on scripture. Uh, meditation in the Bible is not to empty your mind. That, that's not biblical meditation. 
meditation in the Bible, it's to fill your lives with the presence of God. This is a relationship, not just an exercise. In the fullness of his presence and his word, that's the meditation that brings life. Well, what else did they say? Participation, not spectatorship, but participation. And what else? Weekend services. When you live that way, again, Harvard catches up to the Bible, your soul starts to flourish. And that's what Paul wants for the Corinthians. An eager church is not a feeling. Oh, I feel eager. I feel excited. I felt excited after that song I really liked, but then the next song I didn't like as much and I didn't feel as eager. That's, that's not eagerness, folks. That's not what we're talking about here. Eagerness comes out of deep conviction, deep commitment, deep gratitude for who Jesus is. It's centered on Jesus and all he gives to us. It's centered on abiding with him and it's a deep conviction. Paul says as he comes to these different churches and there's some difficult situations, I come even in weakness. Sometimes I come in fear and trembling, but I come in reliance of God. I focus on the gospel. I focus on Jesus. I rely on the Holy Spirit and I come with deep conviction. Deep conviction will hold you there when the storms come. In your marriage, you need some deep conviction. In your parenting, you need some deep conviction. In following Jesus, you need some deep conviction. To be active in your church, you need some deep conviction. It's not an eagerness and a feeling that comes and goes. It's so much deeper than that. What is the deep conviction that God is bringing to you about serving and using your gifts, about living in 2023, about the vision for your life, about getting close with other people and getting real fellowship? What is God's deep conviction that he's bringing to you and will you receive it today? God's conviction comes from his word and his spirit. And about three and a half years ago, uh, to be honest, God, sometimes God has to kind of do one of those. Amen? In, in a loving way. You know, it's like we're kind of stubborn. And then guys, I, when the pandemic hit, did we not all get a chance for a reset? Did we not all pause? Did we not take a little inventory on our lives? And what God, uh, for me personally, it was share the gospel with as many people as possible. As you look around what's happening in America right now, continue obviously to be a pastor and then with that, you know, that evangelism role, share the gospel with everyone. And I got the sense, like, don't go sideways. Don't look back. Don't question it. There's opposition. Keep going. But just share the gospel with as many people for the times we're living in. And it was a conviction I, I, I can't shake. Like, it's strong. And so it's been an adventure. But like this week, um, there was a reach out from ABC to come on a show. This was Wednesday afternoon. And they said, can you be in New York City Thursday morning? And it's, it's a show called Tamron Hall. And I thought, well, that's not a place where they usually talk about God. And, and, and there's an opportunity. But I prayed about it. You know, some decisions are nice when you have like an, a few hours or a few days to pray. Amen. Amen. And then some you got to make in about two minutes. Right. So as best I could, I prayed since I need to go and then went. Gave up my championship men's league soccer game for that thing. It, it, it's small. It's small. I'm just having some fun with that. But, but there, there's, a, there's a cost to the gospel, folks. There's a cost to the gospel. You just go and leave those games behind. Uh, but it meant a red eye. It meant two flights. And uh, I was just looking out the window of the plane and following God. Sometimes it feels like faith. And sometimes it also at the same time feels like, what did I just do? Like, how did I get on this plane? Like, what's coming? And just to kind of roll into this ABC New York City on like two flights no sleep 
and, and, and just feeling like, Lord, please help me because I don't know how this is going to go. And it's a faith walk. But I'll tell you what had meaning for me is in the ride, uh, this man picked me up and I'm going to call him Gabe. And Gabe is from Uzbekistan and Gabe is Jewish. And we had this rich conversation about what's happening in the Middle East right now. And after a little while, it was another one of those convictions and nudges. I just said, Gabe, do you think Jesus is the Messiah? Because Gabe's Jewish, he's active in his temple. And I said, you know, of course, Jesus is Jewish. And I said, do you think he's, he's the Messiah? And Gabe did one of these. I don't know. You can't do that too long in New York City when you're driving. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he, he just did one of those for as long as you could do it. And, and I said, well, Gabe, in that Bible you read in Psalm 22, it lays out the specifics of Jesus dying on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about the suffering servant, and that describes Jesus perfectly. He is the Messiah. He died for our sins, and he's risen. And, and Gabe went back to this, and he said, there's Moses, there's Jesus, and I said, well, they have some similarities. I mean, they're known for their leadership. Uh, God brought miracles. There was a delivery, a deliverance with Moses from slavery. I said, but here's where it's different. Jesus, he's risen from the grave. He's not in the tomb. And Jesus is the Messiah. Be, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Moses didn't. That's a huge difference. And whenever someone claims to be the Messiah, now they're either a liar, lunatic, or they are the Lord. And I said, we're kind of like the jury with all the evidence. It might feel like you don't know, you gotta make a faith decision. But I said, it takes a lot more faith to reject Jesus because when you look at the evidence, it all points to Jesus. And so actually, this isn't a blind faith, but put your faith in Jesus. I'd like to tell you, Gabe, turned to the side of the road and said, Pastor, pray for me to receive Jesus right now. That's not how the story laid out. But when we um, said goodbye, I just looked at him one more time and I just said, Moses isn't the Messiah. Jesus is, Gabe, Jesus is. And you just stay faithful to what God is calling you, deep conviction, and trust God with the results. If some of you are looking opportunity to share your faith, you just call up an Uber driver and... uh, (laughs) Start asking a few questions. They can't go anywhere. You just drive around Seattle, have some spiritual conversation, share Jesus, tell them to drop you back off at home. Uh, No problem. Give a good tip. Give a good tip too. What are you eager to do? What are you eager to do? Serve, see lives changed, meet some needs, see healing. An eager church is a healthy church. Don't settle for less than eager, eager for God's word, eager to seek God, eager to pray, eager to use your gifts. Live life in an eager way that honors God with love and truth. The elders, they eagerly serve our church. I'm so grateful for our elders. They're gonna come forward now and this is gonna be an opportunity for prayer. This is gonna be an opportunity where you can come forward. There's no shame in coming forward. In fact, I encourage you to do this. If you have, let's say, cancer, you have sickness in your body, then you come forward. If you've got some relationships in your life that are strained, then you come forward. If you've been battling worries and fears and anxiety, then come forward. If you've got some despair going on, you feel hopeless, 
you've got this narrative of hopelessness and you're replaying it in your mind, you come forward for prayer. It's not the elders, it's not the oil. Our God answers prayer. Our God answers prayer. This is a house of prayer. This is God's house. We meet God here. We seek God here. And when we do, God moves. There are so many stories and testimonies why we do this every month is because it's in the Bible, James chapter five, and God keeps moving every time we do this, every time we do this. Let's, let's stand up. Let's pray for this time. Go ahead and stand up. Father, we stand up in your presence. We honor you. God, your presence is what we're most eager for in our lives, God, that you would flood our souls and our homes and our church, our nation with your presence. Guide this time of prayer. God, move, we pray. Heal, we pray. Your grace and forgiveness, we pray. We trust you, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.